You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. I am excited that we get to continue our history series. We are moving into episode seven in the history of the LCMS, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and Lutherans in North America. And I, man, so much history to unpack. I'm so grateful we get to do this series. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us today, the Reverend Dr. Cameron McKenzie. He's professor of historical theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and our favorite guy for unpacking great history like this. <laughs> Dr. McKenzie, welcome back. Thank you very much. So glad to be with you, folks. So last time we left off, we were just starting to look at the various synods that were forming in North America, and I think we were starting to talk about the Ohio Synod. What was the Ohio Synod, and what's, what's the story of the Ohio Synod? Great. The Ohio Synod actually began in 1818. You know, that's almost 30 years before the Missouri Synod started. And it had attracted a number of the missionaries that Leah had sent from Germany to the U.S. in order to plant Lutheran churches on the American uh, frontier. When Leah sent his missionaries, he gave each of them a uh, set of instructions. And in those instructions, he specified who they were, what kind of ministry they were going to have. And this ties in with things we talked about before, because one of his requirements was that a, a German Lutheran candidate for the ministry should seek office with a church of his confession, his doctrine. And that meant, and I quote him here, you cannot accept a mixed, that is a Lutheran and Reformed congregation. So. He knew that on the frontier, there were these pan-Protestant German churches. And he said, well, we're not starting that kind of church. We're starting Lutheran churches. So that's the kind of church that you have to associate with. And then he specified that they would connect themselves with a German Lutheran synod. And so when the men came over, they looked around for a German Lutheran synod with which to associate. Now, last time we talked about some of the problems that the Michigan men had had with the Michigan Synod and that Winnikin had with the General Synod, but now we want to talk about what these problem Leah men were having with the uh, Ohio Synod. Now, it turned out that the Ohio Synod actually was had two factions in it. It begun in eighteen eighteen. But through the years, it had attracted all different kinds of Lutherans. And there were two big factions, at least as represented at their seminary. The seminary was later in Columbus, Ohio. It might have been in Columbus already by this time. But at any rate, it's not a big operation. But they had a couple of professors. And one of the professors was an advocate of using the English language. Now. Leah had said in his instructions that you needed to use German. He said, this is what he said, the full importance for the German language for the German faith, if we, without being misunderstood, can call the faith of the evangelical Lutheran church German. Therefore, you will conclude no union with a congregation which would allow room for English in the office of the ministry and in instruction. 
Now, what's going on here? Well, it wasn't that any of the Lutherans thought that you couldn't use the English language and be an authentic Lutheran. But when you were attempting to plant the Lutheran church in America, you needed to use Lutheran materials. And Lutheran materials at this point simply were not in English. The book of, if you want, for example, to train men in the Book of Concord, you need a Book of Concord that's in English. Well, they didn't have one in the 1840s. It was not until the 1850s that they had one. Likewise, the uh, dogmatic heritage of the Lutheran Church, uh, the hymnic heritage of the Lutheran Church, none of that was in English. So in order to plant a Lutheran Church, Leah had said, you've got to go with German. Well, in the Ohio Synod, there were those who advocated German and there was those who advocated English. And at the seminary, this played out over the question of what language are we going to use to teach our doctrine, to teach our confessions? Will it be German or will it be English? When the laymen started joining the Ohio Synod, they were bringing that argument to a conclusion. And at one of their conventions, they had decided, yes, we will use German as our language of instruction. After that decision, however, they decided to reconsider it in part because the English language congregations were no longer supporting the seminary. So they had a special convention in which they decided, no, we're going to use the English language for our doctrinal instruction, the main language of instruction at the seminary. And this, to the laymen who had joined, seemed to be a betrayal of confessional Lutheranism. Now, this was combined with a couple of other points that are important as well. One was that the Ohio Synod was recommending a liturgy where when the pastor distributed the words, distributed the consecrated elements, he would say, Jesus says, this is my body. Jesus says, this is my blood. This was exactly the liturgy that they were, the words from the liturgy that they were using in the Union churches back in Germany. Because even though Lutherans and Reformed disagreed about what was in the sacrament, Lutherans, body and blood, Reformed, bread and wine, they all agreed that Jesus had said, this is my body, this is my blood. So that was another issue in the Ohio uh, Synod why were they recommending a liturgy that Reformed people could accept as well as Lutherans? So that was a concern. And then finally, to get into the Ohio Synod, you did not have to subscribe to the Lutheran confessions. So those three elements, that liturgy, no confessional subscription, and the change from German to English as the principal language of doctrinal instruction at the seminary alarmed the laymen. And they came to the conclusion, we can't continue, we've got to do something else. And it was at Cleveland in the fall of 1845 that Wilhelm Seeler from, well, he had been in, the, he was in the Ohio Senate, Lincoln, 
who was on his way from Fort Wayne back to uh, Baltimore, and a number of other Ohio Synod men who were committed to German confessional liturgy and confessional doctrine, met and decided that they were going to have to leave. And accordingly, they needed to to found another Lutheran synod that would be fully confessional and that would bring them into line with the instructions of Leah, who had who had been supporting them. In fact, Leah had been sending money to the seminary of the Ohio Synod, but that was all coming to an end. And so it was the decision of these men to leave and to found another synod, one that would be fully confessional. Now the question came, should they just go ahead and do that at Cleveland in September? I mean, these these early synods were not real complicated affairs. There was no bureaucracy. There was, you know, there were no buildings. There was no money. You just kind of organized and you said, what we're going to do, write a constitution or something. So that was their question. And they decided not to go forward, but instead, and this is the big move, they decided to invite the Saxons to participate with them. And that becomes then why we call that first Cleveland meeting in the fall of 45, kind of the first meeting that would culminate in the founding of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in April of 1847. So that's the first meeting. So we've got the meeting in Cleveland. There's so much history in just that one Ohio Synod. And I know we may get to a question eventually what happened to all of those churches. But first, I know there were there were three meetings that led up to the creation of the Missouri, Ohio, and other states. That's right. But right. one, what's the second one? Okay. The second one is in St. Louis. Now, I think we mentioned in a previous episode that in September of 1844, Walter had started publishing uh, a newspaper. And this was called Dare Lutheraner, the Lutheran. And this this had come to the attention of people like Sealer and Leia men like Adam. And when they got a hold of it, they said, wow, we, there are some other really good confessional Lutherans here in America. And so they started uh, corresponding. And so when these Ohio men decided they had to uh, start a new synod, it was kind of natural for them to get in touch with Walther and the Saxons to see if they were interested. And in point of fact, they were. So plans were made for representatives of the, let's say, the Ohio group, the, you know, let's say the Northerners, to meet with the Westerners, that is the Saxons, in, in St. Louis. And this meeting would be in the spring of, I've got to get the exact date here, would be in the spring of 1846. Yeah, May, May of 1846. Three of the men who were at the Cleveland meeting were delegated to go down and meet with the Saxons. These were Sealer from, from Fort Wayne, Ernst, the first of Leah's missionaries, and then a newcomer, another one of Leah's missionaries. This was Friedrich Lochner. Now, Friedrich Lochner is one of the really great names in that first generation of uh, Missouri Senate founders. He had always wanted to be a pastor, but his family didn't have the wherewithal to supply him with the education. So he had become 
an engraver, but he was losing his eyesight, so he couldn't do the engraving. And then Wienekin came over and on a lecture tour, he was encouraging men like Lochner to think about the ministry. And so Lochner finally did. He sought out Leah, studied with Leah for several months, and then came over. And he arrived just in time to join the Ohio Senate in order to leave the Ohio Senate. So he's at that first meeting and he's going along with uh, Seeler and uh, Ernst to St. Louis. Now they went by canal and then finally the Ohio River and then they had to go up the Ohio River to St. Louis and Lochner kept, well, didn't kept, he, he, he wrote an account of that particular voyage and uh, one of the episodes that he uh, describes is their first meeting with the Saxon men. Now, these are the Leia men on board, I guess it would have been the steamboat going up the Mississippi. And some newcomers, they stop at a stop at a place and some newcomers get on to board ship. And here's what Lochner has to say. One evening, we stopped at a settlement to take on passengers. The houses appeared to be German, and the new passengers also. The black coats and white cravats of the men caused caused us to believe them to be clericals. We finally reached the conclusion that they were Methodist preachers. Big mistake. (laughs) Who can describe our joy when we learned after a while that though preachers, they were not Methodists, but Lutherans, namely pastors Lober, Kyle, and Gruber, and that the landing place was the Saxon settlement of Wittenberg, from which Altenburg is only seven miles distant. Now, remember, they don't know each other, and it was a natural enough mistake, but I'm not sure that the Saxons would have been thrilled by having been mistaken for Methodists. Well, okay, all right. So they continue traveling together, and now Lochner talks about the conversation that they had with their new companions. The result, he writes, was the fear on our part that a complete union between us and the brethren in Missouri could not be reached without difficulties. It could not be denied that these brethren were filled with some distrust for which we could not blame them, as they had been so grossly deceived by Stefan. Also, and here's the big thing, also the fact that we, except for Dr. Seeler, had received no German university training caused them to hesitate. Furthermore, they doubted, especially Pastor Kyle, that's Walter's brother-in-law, they doubted that we could divide the word of God properly since we had not thoroughly studied the works of Luther. Then when Lochner comments, I still vividly remember how troubled we were in our minds, Pastor Ernst and I, when we retired that night. We asked ourselves earnestly if we, with our meager education, could continue in office with a good conscience. So this first meeting did not go off real well. However, we were welcomed in a most cordial and brotherly manner in St. Louis by pastors Walther, Binger, Fearbringer, and Schieferdecker, who had been expecting us. So 
the tone changes when they finally get to St. Louis and the Saxon men there are warmer and friendlier than had been Kyle and company on board the boat. And so what do they do? Well, Lochner says they began at once to confer with us on the draft of our present synodical constitution. So they discussed, they found themselves in agreement, and now they go forward actually to start planning for the new church body. At the end of this, having agreed upon a draft constitution and having agreed, first of all, that they actually did agree on what it meant to be Lutheran, but they did a couple of things to kind of seal the deal and to show, yes, we are one in our faith and so one in the Lutheran church. And what they do, well, uh, they, the St. Louis men, invited the Northerners to preach. And here's how Lochner reported that. In this connection, it should also be mentioned that we three were asked to preach as a testimony to the unity of faith. Though we went at this task unwillingly and with trembling, we could not on that account decline. Again, they're thinking, oh, how can we do this? These guys are so well, how can we do it? Well, they did it, and they did it successfully. So the deal was sealed first and foremost by sharing altars. That's called altar fellowship, and that's what they did. They were in altar fellowship. But something else happened. Lochner himself made a decision that furthered the positive relationships between the two groups, and here's how he says it. Dr. Seeler and Pastor Ernst departed before Pentecost. But I remained a week longer. Why was that? For on Pentecost Monday, I was going to marry Pastor Walther's sister-in-law, to whom I had become engaged on Exaudi Sunday. So it's just kind of like, you know, old-time royalty. When you have a treaty, you seal it by a marriage alliance. And so Lochner did. He married Walther's finger sister-in-law. So that was that was the second meeting. It brought the two groups together. And you can see that in spite of some fear and trepidation, everything ended just fine. And we have more to cover. There's one more meeting to cover, but we do need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live Uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. We're talking with Dr. Cameron McKenzie about the forming of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and we are so close, so close to the first convention. We've talked about two meetings that happened prior to the first meeting 
for this for the forming of the synod. What is the third meeting that happened before forming the synod? With about six minutes. Yes. <laughs> well, okay, we 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 can do this in six minutes. I think. Uh, the the third meeting was uh, really a uh, pretty a pretty big meeting. Uh, this one was held in July uh, in Fort Wayne. And this is a big meeting because they are going to uh, uh, take a look at the proposed constitution. And I'm, I'm just looking around for my copy of that constitution here, and I find it. So, okay. Uh, so that took a while, but it was very well attended. A uh, number of men, especially from that part of the country, uh, were present who had not been present uh, at previous at either of the previous two meetings. Uh, the Saxon men kind of had done most of the work on the Constitution, but now everybody had to agree on it, and at length that they did. They did. This was an important move, and I want to read a few things in the Constitution that actually set the tone, not just for the beginnings of the Synod, but actually for the Synod even to this even to this day. And here I'm looking at conditions under which a congregation may join a synod and remain a member. And the very first condition is acceptance of Holy Scripture, both the Old and the New Testament, as the written word of God and as the only rule and norm of faith and life. Exactly what we would expect. But we would also expect number two, because this is where Missouri starts to differentiate itself from other groups like the Ohio Senate, the General Senate, the Michigan Senate that we've talked about. Because number two says, acceptance of all the symbolical books of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. We've talked about that Book of Concord before. Acceptance as the pure and unadulterated explanation and presentation of the Word of God. So these Lutherans committed themselves to the Lutheran confessions because they expressed and explained what the Word of God expressed and explained. So that was the first two points, basic, important, still important in the Missouri Synod. But right from the beginning, the Missouri Synod has insisted that your practice conform to your doctrine. And so number three specified separation from all commixture of church or faith as, for example, serving of mixed congregations by a servant of the church, taking part in the service and sacraments of heretical or mixed congregations, taking part in any tract distribution and mission projects, heretical tract distribution and mission projects. So in that paragraph, the synodical founders are saying, we came to America to get away from the compromises of state church Lutheranism, to get away from the government saying Reformed and Lutherans have to be mixed into one congregation. We came to have a pure church and conforming pure practice to that doctrine, because that's what our Lord ex expects on the basis of the scriptures. So that was a very important thing uh, for them to put into that uh, constitution. 
as we would expect, they also want doctrinally pure church books and school books. And then what we might not expect, had we not talked a little bit about this in connection with Ohio, they also said exclusive use of the German language in the synodical conventions. Only guests may use a different language if they cannot speak German. So this was going to be a German Lutheran. And that's why at this meeting, they also decided upon a name. And the name was the German Evangelical Lutheran Synod of Ohio, of Missouri, Ohio, and other states. The German Evangelical Lutheran Synod of Missouri, Ohio, and other states. Now, that's, that's a mouthful, of course. And as you might expect, it got shortened very quickly to the Missouri Synod. But for a hundred years, that actually was our name. The, well, I take this back. In 1911, when we merged with the English Synod, we dropped the German. It was no longer German. It was just the Evangelical Lutheran Synod of Missouri, Ohio, and other states. But in 1940, when we were celebrating our 100th anniversary, we adopted our nickname as our name, namely the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. But for 100 years, it was that other, longer formulation. And it sounds even better in German. <laughs> oh, yeah, very much. Very much, right. We are just about out of time. I, I want to just briefly unpack the, the concern for for switching to English or or to for leaving German behind. What was the chief concern for for not staying in German? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. And we can unpack it further in another episode, but just briefly. Uh, okay, yeah, very briefly. It it was this inability to teach and preach without German materials, without German stuff. And as a matter of fact, they they did discover some English-speaking Lutherans in the Tennessee Synod, and almost at once, synods started exchanging fraternal delegates, recognizing them as fellow Lutherans. And then in the 18th, Walther helped to organize an English conference of confessional Lutherans. But over the first several decades, with all the Germans coming into America, the idea that they would be a German church for the German Lutherans continued to seem like a good idea for them. But they never thought that you couldn't be Christian and you couldn't be Lutheran using English. It just would be extremely difficult when you're working among Germans and there is not a lot of stuff in English for Lutherans. So much history. We've, <laughs> we've almost formed the Synod. We'll get to that soon in, in a future episode. Thank you so much, Dr. McKenzie, for spending time with us, helping us learn this history. I, I'm just fascinated by it. Thanks for being our guest today on The Coffee Hour. Well, thank you for having me. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Showing support for KFUO is now easier than ever. 
You can sport a KFUO shirt, swag, or even socks by visiting our online store. Go to KFUO.org slash store and order high-quality KFUO-branded merch. You no longer need to wait for our annual share for a chance to show your KFUO spirit. Visually share and wear this ministry out in the world by checking out our selection. Every purchase helps to support our proclamation of Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Go to KFUO.org slash store.